0: to the Duke 2018-2019 season preview. This is Duke Basketball Corner. I am Adam Comerow. I am here with my most of the season co-host, Ray Hallman. And we're going to go over everything you can imagine, Duke, and more for what could possibly happen. How we feel about what is going to go on. And I am excited to get into it. This is a real interesting team so ray thanks for joining me as always let's get started just in 60 seconds what are you most excited for about this duke team
1: you the cascada because here comes duke uh, you know first of all by the way my day we played rock lobster and, and we liked it um but yeah so uh what am i most excited about honestly uh you know i feel like uh I feel like Bob Ryan responding to to, to Bob Knight in the conference where he says, what is it that you liked about the Cardinals? And then he goes, Albert Pujols. So my answer is uh, is, uh, Zion Williamson. That's actually what I am most excited about because he's our Rodney Rogers. The whole time I've been a uh, a fan of ACC basketball, I've always wanted Duke to have a Rodney Rogers. We never had one. Um, He's actually a better three-point shooter already. So just watching what he's going to do this year, you know, there's plenty to be excited about, but that is right at the top of my list.
0: Coach K calls him the most unique player he's ever coached. I would say just in general with the team, the versatility of this team, I'm really excited about that. I think this might be the most versatile team they've had just in terms of I mean, they're starting four guys you can basically put anywhere, and if Zion can play the five, they could actually have a depth lineup. Communication. with Even back when they played in Canada, I remember after the final game, Billis interviewed Zion and RJ, and they were talking about What was the most important thing? Communication, nonstop communication. And with the ESPN Plus that I sucked it up and actually bought, even though I said I wasn't, they they have these uh, short little documentary clips, and there's so much about the communication. I think that's been a problem in the past. They seem to really enjoy communicating with each other, which is huge, especially on defense. All right, 60 seconds. What are you most potentially worried about?
1: I mean, it starts with defense, right? So let me give you some numbers here: 1085, <clears> 1181, 1178, 1, lottery numbers, 1224, me- 1246, 1091, 1334. I wish. Uh, I matched one number in um, in uh, in uh, Powerball. By the way, you know what you win for matching one really? number? Not wow. a dang thing. So uh, yeah. So but hey, I I can say I matched a match number. Those numbers I just read out, those are the uh, offensive, uh, the defensive efficiencies that Duke gave up and the games that they lost to in the season. So, this is what happens uh, to Duke. You know, over the, you know, course of most of the K area, the, the offense has been fine. The offense will be fine this year. The offense will be able to get buckets. But what, you know, do they struggle to do? All right, They struggle to defend. It just gets back to the very basic concept of, you know, defense. And the numbers that we're looking at there. You know, it really gets back to uh, Duke playing defense, not so much in the one and done era, in my opinion. It's in the pick and roll era. You know, when we see the advent, uh, you know, of the of the pick and roll that's coming. Yeah, you're
0: absolutely right. Uh, And we will absolutely get into that in just one second. I mean, that's the first thing I have on the keys to the season. Let me let me just say the uh, what I'm most potentially worried about, and I do apologize for interrupting. Um, I would say. One, a hybrid of 2014-2016. There's a lot of similar skill sets. Not all. Um, I mean, the 16 team shot better, and this team might be a little more athletic. There's differences, but there's some interesting similarities, some of it worrisome. I would say this team, like the legendary Aqua Song, they are mid-range heavy in a non-mid-range world. That is how a Barbie girl went, right? Uh, And then, as you started to say, uh, team zoning them. I would say that is a worry of mine. So let's move on to a little more specific, a little more in-depth, the starting fives. I'm going to have starting fives, which is kind of what I uh, am terming top fives, the biggest team keys to the season. So we're going to start out, and I will let you continue what you started to talk about, defense. That is what... I think we would both agree is the most vital aspect to this team.
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of components to it. Um, You know, you got to talk about defensive rebounding and things, but I think it starts out top. You know, the Duke defense is designed to make it hard to initiate your offense. You want to get in the way of that first entry pass, you know, and this goes back to the way that we used to play when, you know, we were – younger men still very young i'd like to note but um you know when we were younger men the way the offense would initiate the point guard you know drives maybe just you know kicks it to the wing or drives the free throw line, breaks down the defense right that's not so much what we have anymore so with the rise of pick and roll in college basketball which really started about uh 2009 you've really seen uh, duke struggle in one particular area which is a turnover percentage they're not doing a great job turning teams over so um Prior to the rise of the pick and roll in the college game, you look back at a team like 2007. So that was Duke's youngest team since World War II. That's the year that John Shire is a freshman and and Brian Zubek and Gerald Henderson. So a lot of the guys, you know, that will eventually stick around and be the, you know, be, be key mem- members of that 2010 title team. So that team, you know, as young as it was struggling to figure out, um, you know, uh, defense was uh, 109th in the nation in turnover percentage. So you start. Let's take a look uh, at, uh, you know, 2010 obviously went fairly well. For Duke, 2011, 116th in the nation. 20, 2012, 247th is turnover percentage. 2013, 146. And by the way, that was a really good defensive team. So you can't just say that was a young team that had defensive, uh, you know, deficiencies throughout. You know, when Ryan Kelly was on that team, that was a top 10 defense uh, in the nation. And Ryan Kelly, of course, got hurt late that year. And they really missed him uh, as that great help side for uh, 156 in 2014. Uh, 205, even in the title year of 2015, 2016, 223. It just continues to go down. 2017, 253, 2018, uh, 247. So, what we've seen is that Duke has been uh, unable, it's been, you know, less skilled at creating turnovers, you know, which means longer possessions. So, uh, and a lot of that goes back again, just the basic way that you play defense, it's about denying that entry pass, uh, you know, denying that first pass to, to kickstart the offense, you know, on this pick and roll era when you can just. They'll come out, set a screen. Um, you can switch around so you get the matchup you want. So it's really been a challenge for the Duke defense. So I think that's something that starts right there. You know, are they gonna be better at generating turnovers, you know, and then are they gonna be able to you know, turn those into steals you know, and then get out in the court because this will be an, an exceptional team in the open.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right with generating turnovers. I think that will get the pace up. This team wants to play as fast as possible. That will provide energy on offense. As you said, I mean, the defense, to put it simply, just in the ACC, from two, in the Ken Palm era from 2002 to 2011, in 2008 they were number three in defense. Every other year they were one and two. Then all of a sudden in 2012 hits – And they're in the bottom half of the ACC every single year, except for 2013, they were number five. Outside of that, they were either seven, eight, or nine until last year when it was the first year. They really played more zone. It wasn't just like 2015 when they played a spot of it. They really played last year. But before that, I mean, they really had trouble. And a lot of it has to do with communication. A lot of it has to do with the pick and roll. And you put those two together, it makes a lot of sense. So I'm really, really hoping we can see that, uh, that vicious uh, Duke um, press, um, the extended half-court defense on the perimeter. I mean, that's what, that's what a lot of us grew up or became fans of Duke watching. That's what was so fun. So I think that's something where I'm really hoping we can see that uh, coach K has made one comparison I think is a little bit strong he compared Trey Jones to his point guard's defense such as Wojo, Steve Wojciechowski, I uh, was Tommy Amaker, Chris Duhon guys like that let's let's uh let's just cut it Back a little bit, I would say um, Derek Thornton, tremendous (laughs) on-ball defender in 2016. If Trey can be 75% of what Derek Thornton was, I would say that's really, really good. So that's what that's what I'm hoping for now. Um, All right.
1: Yeah, uh, you've only tossed out uh, two National Defensive Players of the Year there, Uh, so uh, you know Tommy Amaker being Duke's first, and uh, of course Wojcik being that. So you know, yeah, sort of a sort of a low bar. Uh, that he set for, uh, for uh, Trey, who we will try and avoid calling Tyus throughout this I thought season. his name was
0: just not Tyus Jones. Uh, all right, this so the <laughs> second uh, key I have, fluidity. Um, in my opinion, it's not – I think Kay has done a very good job um, throughout the one-and-done era of making the uh, big change in the team when necessary um, adjustment. But I think this team, they're so versatile that I think it's just a matter of consistently finding ways to put them in the best position. And uh, so I would say be consistently creative. Don't just give them an offense with basic principles of motion. I, w- I would say really, really move them around. Um, get, get them cutting in different ways. This team is really good at off-ball movement. Uh, I, I would say they want to be coached. It's the way they play. It looks like it. Don't just put them in signed roles. I think that was a problem last year where guys were, it seemed like they were almost put in a box at times. And while, yes, you could say that may have helped team success, it seemed to to hurt it as well at other times. So I think the versatility with that, I'm hoping for more creativity. We've already seen glimpses of five out with Bolden kind of four and a half out. So I, I would say just fluidity.
1: Yeah, and I think that's actually going to be a strength of the team. I think this is actually going to be a pretty good passing team. I think there's some willing passers out there. You know, you and I talked about this in the preseason about what do we want to see, and I said, you know, Can Zion Williamson pass? You know, what's it going to look like at this level? Because you put a guy like him uh, in the middle of that zone, if he can make a quick decision. Excuse me, in the middle of the uh, uh, you know offensive set, uh, and then he's going to make the defense move if he can make a quick decision. You know, the most important thing in that role in that four, I think. Uh, is just being able to make a quick decision with the ball, and uh, you know particularly if you're if you're a gifted passer. And I've been really impressed with what I've seen out of him uh, thus far, you know, granted, there's always the caveats about level of competition, but I think he's been a very willing passer and a very creative passer. you know, the first game against uh, first exhibition game against the Virginia Union, a really nice pass to RJ Barrett, who was cut into the rim. So there's two pieces of that. One is being a willing passer, and I think these guys are all gonna be willing passers. And then the second piece is just you know not standing around. You talked about the Brandon Ingram team, you know, and that's what would happen with the Ingram team. It became what I always called the Joe Boo offense. You know, the I do it myself. You know, you would just pass it around the perimeter, and it's almost, it's actually maybe it's more even like a rollercoaster. You would just go up, 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 and then you know, you know, Ingram has the ball iso on the wing, he's going now, and as the ball iso on the wing, he's going. Um, so uh, you know, the the guys need to cut. So when uh, you know, RJ or Cam Reddish or one of these guys is. Is taking the ball to the rack, then you have a you have a cutter coming there, and that's what this team is built for. So I think they're willing passers, and they're built to slash. So I think that fluidity is going to be a strength of this.
0: Yeah, team. it's shocking that just uh, not flashy, but really well developed assists from R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson was not on their highlight tapes because uh, they they are not flashy, and those guys they're. There's a lot of flash to their game, especially Zion, obviously, Mr. Mixtape Sensation. Um, So then you get the specific basketball skills, perimeter shooting, free throw shooting, team rebounding. So basically just shooting anywhere from outside the paint. They are... Very proficient at mid-range. Unfortunately, we are not in that world anymore. It still is useful, and especially when Duke starts playing teams that will zone them, because in my opinion, that will happen, especially in ACC. But for now, I think Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of proving their ability to at least keep the defense honest with perimeter shooting. We're still looking for who besides possibly O'Connell and Jack White with some spot up. Can R.J. Barrett consistently hit? Can Cam Reddish consistently hit? Zion, can he hit enough? And RJ's worked with Drew Hanlon, very gr- very good skills coach. Uh, Jason Tatum. He's the one, like that's how he became pretty famous. Him and Bradley Beal working with those two guys. Um, he's worked a lot with RJ Barrett. His shot his form looks better, still not perfect, but I think that'll be interesting. Team rebounding. The first game in the exhibition against Virginia Union, not very good. They kinda they wa- they ball watched a lot on the rebound. Second game Against Ferris State, much better, as you said. Obviously, context-dependent on level of competition. But still, it was just a matter of effort and getting in there. Um, I mean, it's the same thing as I don't care who it was against. When Duke's up 65, with 10 minutes left, and Zion Williamson is diving on the floor. I mean, I can just imagine Coach K locking the team in a film room and just showing that on repeat for the next week. Just because it doesn't matter when or how it's that he did it, and that's what he wants to get across. No matter the situation, just give everything you have. So I think the team rebounding is that's just going to be effort.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know rebounding is obviously uh, g- going to be key um, on on the defensive side. I think they'll be a fairly good offensive rebounding team. You know, again, there's just athleticism there, and you know, it's just there's so much to um, to offensive rebounding. that's just about timing and 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 uh, you know anticipation of where it's going to be, and sort of the elusiveness to get around the box out. And I think they'll have that, you know, with with the lineup. Um, you know, the question is, of course, on the other side, you know, are they going to be able to keep other teams off the glass? And then, you know, to your earlier point, um, you know, can you keep teams honest from the outside? Because you, you look back, even if they don't zone you, you think they the way that, you know, Carolina played Duke last year in the first game they played, you know, in the Dean Dome and, you know, Duke goes in there and, and loses the game and uh carolina just collapsed in the paint you know and they just said you know go ahead and go ahead and beat us you know be do something else you know and and duke couldn't couldn't do anything else you know and they couldn't keep them off the glass so you don't even have to zone them you just pack it in because you have all these slashers you know and if you have if you have enough guys standing close to the lane it's really hard to slash when there's you know there's four bodies that are just standing there waiting for you so um you know that's absolutely something that duke's going to uh going to have to you know be able to keep teams honest and I think they can you know I think Alex O'Connell is a good shooter I think Reddish will get there um so we'll see how it works out but um that's definitely a key you know one other thing I would add to your list there um is in trade we trust right so just uh one of the problems that you know I think Duke teams have had recently is even with the point guards that um could uh could run these teams. I don't know that they had that trust factor there with Mike Sheshewski. I think that's a big thing. So you would see these constant adjustments. We saw it last year with Duval goes to the bench and Allen slides over. And you know, I never thought the best role for Grayson Allen was running on the point. You know, he's just a little too um he was a little too limited at the end of the last year to to run the point. You know, we saw that um, you know, late in the season. Um, you know, and we saw that uh, again with Derek Thornton here, you know, where you had the canard and you had Um, Grayson Allen you just have a lot of inconsistency that your team couldn't quite develop an identity because the point guard didn't have the the trust of uh, Mike Krzyzewski and I think with this year you know maybe with the as equity and just the fact that you know Trey Jones looks like a pretty good point guard that you know maybe we'll have that so I think that's going to be a big key for this year is is just having some stability uh, at that position and again maybe not even specifically on the player but just that relationship with Mike Krzyzewski and having the trust of to let him be the captain out of the court.
0: Yeah, I definitely am going to hit on that more when we get to Trey Jones Um, specifically. I would say you hit on this a little energy on the offensive end of the court. The stats are always going to be good just because they are so damn talented. Like the offensive stats are always going to be good with a team with this much talent. But it's a matter of keeping everyone moving, keeping everyone involved, as I said before, keeping the ball moving, not getting too ISO-oriented because that affects both ends a lot of times coach k will say you're letting one end affect the other if you're standing around watching another guy on offense even if he scores you might not be motivated to play defense i'm not saying that's the right way to the right mentality but these are 18 17 18 year old kids uh possibly 19 so yeah stuff like that does come into play um lineup chemistry We we had talked about that a little, just trust in different guys. What can certain players add when we go through the lineup? We will talk more about what each player can. But I think, again, it's the same thing as I was talking about fluidity. Just testing it out, seeing what works. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch and see who plays well together, where that chemistry is.
1: Uh, Absolutely, you know, figuring out what the identity of the team is, um, you know, and uh, and I think they'll be able to – to figure that out fairly quickly because you have three really elite scorers, you know, you have three guys on this team that could very much be option one for almost every other team in college basketball. Um, so yeah, you, you have a good mix to start with. Uh, it seems like the personalities fit pretty well together. Um, you know, so far um, you don't, it doesn't necessarily seem like you're going to have too many cooks in the kitchen. So um, yeah, I think uh I think that chemistry is really going to come together for this team. And the nice thing too is the pieces fit on this team. So we need to talk a little bit about the fifth starter and how that comes together, but the pieces fit. You're not, you're not trying to put a two guard in at a point, you know, you have a point guard, you're not trying to, uh, you know, play a four to five, you know, if, if, fifth starter, you know, we talked to that. If we're, if, if Duke is running bold out there, you're not trying to, to make a, a piece fit where it doesn't fit. So, you know, that also just helps with the chemistry when everybody knows their role and they can play their role. Um, and you have so much versatility, uh, one through four. There's so many interchangeable pieces on this roster, one through four. It's, you know, you're not going to wind up in a lot of situations where, you know, Zion Williamson is in foul trouble and there's not a there's not a way to solve it. You know, Tyus Jones needs a breather, and even if you don't go to Goldwire, you know, you have options you usually, that can slide over. You just over said Tyus
0: and Jones. That, that, that's
1: one. That's <laughs> that's one. That's one for the one for the jar, right? We'll just start a collection, and then uh, at the end of the year we can all fly to the Final okay. Four on the nickel that we spend for saying Tyus Jones. All right. And a little
0: bonus to the five aspects I mentioned Um, leadership. That's always a question when you have guys that just don't have a lot of, I think this is the most inexperienced uh, coach K team ever. Um, So the bonus, so the leadership, who's it going to be RJ Barrett? I think that natural trust is there. I think he is the heart and soul of this team. And they, I I think he is kind of as a cliche, the straw that stirs the drink. So I'm going with Barrett.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we'll see how the team comes together, Uh, but it doesn't have to just be one person. I mean, Quinn Cook wound up really much being that leader of the 2015 team, but you got, you know, big boost from Tyus Jones, the correct Tyus that time, Um, you know, when he needed it. You know, Justice Winslow stepped up in a leadership role. There's a lot of different people, you know, pieces that that fit together. Emil Jefferson. Um, you know, that played that role. And I, and I think that's really important because you look back a year before that, 2014, even though you had Quinn Cook there, you didn't have that dominant personality necessarily. It was Jabari Parker's team, but he wasn't necessarily, you know, the I'm going to grab you by the, show, the shirt collar when things go sideways kind of team. And that, that team would just, you know, it hit adversity and it would collapse. Um And I don't think you're going to see that this year. I think there's enough uh people there that, you know, just have that – um you know, innate leadership in them. And, uh, you know, I don't see a, a lot of friction, you know, erupting around that. So, yeah, I think we'll see exactly how it how it uh, erupts uh, or how it comes together. But, you know, Barrett's a guy can get you a bucket. And, uh, you know, and that's the other thing that, that, that helps with leadership. There's two pieces to it. One is being able to grab them by the shirt collar, collar, but then the other is actually being able to get a bucket, you know, because we need teams that were built around the Tyler Thorntons and the Josh Harrison's. They may be great leaders off the court, but they're not the guys who are going to be able to say, I got this, I'm going to get a bucket, just give them
0: the ball. Yes, lead by example, um, the vocal leadership, it's great when you have a guy who can do both, and it's very really rare when you have a freshman who can do it. That's You just don't see that often, which is a huge it, it, what I'm trying to get across is a huge compliment to R.J. Barrett that he can immediately be that. He's such a calming presence. All right. So before we uh, start our player previews uh, more in depth, um, I think I think it's fun, fun just to have a little break and go down some basic Duke stuff, uh, some fun stuff. So we see we see uh, Zion. He can he almost looks like the Incredible Hulk on a basketball court. So in the Coach K era. I'm going to give you a top five of my most jacked, physically imposing, or just attitude dudes, guys, like guys you just wouldn't want to see in the dark alley. All right, number one, Brian Davis. If you don't remember Brian Davis, he he was he was almost the enforcer on the classic uh, not 90, 91, 92 Duke teams, and he was Leitner's best friend. But on the court, man, it it was war, and he didn't take he didn't take no uh, he he was a bad mother, shut your mouth, I'll say that. So that, then you got wow. Dante Jones, Mr. Push Ups against Virginia. Um you got I would say Zion, Corey Maggette, Jacked, um, and then I would say my nineteen eighties screen setter. I have no idea what his name is. My goal is to never remember his name. But it was I found out, I discovered him a year ago. Every, I, I am the last person to discover him. Actually, no, probably most people don't. But um, I watched him on this 1980s, Duke was playing Carolina. And I remember the commentator was talking about him, just saying, like, he just loves to set screens and just basically just rail people. And, like, that was his entire role. And I'm like, this this is, like, my favorite guy. So I don't know, what is his name again?
1: referring to Duke's original Canadian basketball legend Danny Maher. Danny Maher is my
0: dude.
1: Who uh yeah, Duke legend, uh class of 85, I believe he was captain of that 1985 team. In fact, uh was how how well-liked uh Danny Maher was, but yeah, he just uh he played a role, man, and uh like he wasn't the most physically imposing guy. You got to remember of course back in 85 we he, were all He was the original
0: was, Jack Salt.
1: But, like, we were skinny, man. Like, we, you didn't, the weightlifting just hadn't hit the, the you know, basketball like, like it is now, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, he was probably, he wasn't that big of a guy, but I guess relative to the competition. But yeah, he was uh, Duke's, you know, RJ Barrett is the heir apparent to Danny mahare Never forget. All right. So, like, so I... you know. hopefully. Danny Maher. We'll just have a Danny
0: Maher corner. I'm we'll do we'll down with that, and I will absolutely never remember his name. All right, so I got Brian Davis, Dante <laughs> Jones, Zion Williamson, Corey Maggette, and my 1980s screen setter. The other options possible, if you want to make some substitutions, I, I listed Semi Ogilvy, Justice Winslow, Demarcus Nelson, Wendell Carter, and Christian Leitner, because Leitner, man, he'll do whatever it takes. He'll fight dirty. So is there any substitutions you want to make to the, to the starting five?
1: So let me just add on here, since this is a fun little topic. So first of all, Leitner, you should always read the – Ron Burt, you know, the great walk-on on the 92 team, the intramural legend at Duke, um, who scored a bucket against Carolina in 92. Um, he wrote a piece for Slate or something years and years ago, and he talked about the wars in practice, you know, and Leitner would just elbow him and everything. It was a walk-on, you know, in practice, and just what Leitner would do. And of course, Leitner and Hurley, you know, had a contentious relationship. And, you know, there's nobody – um, you know, if your life is on the line that you want, you want on your side more than Christian Laettner. Um, So yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, certainly not the most jacked dude, but, um, but, you know, you wouldn't want to go against him. Uh, Brian Davis, anybody who doesn't remember him, all you need to do is watch his interview from the fab five documentary from uh the espn I 30, second that. 30 i'm telling you man you know what brian davis should do he should just give pregame speeches that's what his job should be because i swear i would run out of the tunnel for that dude any day like he is just uh he's an intimidator i actually have him on my wall here uh with uh you know from 92 where he had uh yeah actually it was 91 where he had the duke destiny sign um you know when they won the championship uh, in, in 91 that year and finally broke through, you know, it's hard to remember, but Duke used to always be always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Duke was a lovable underdog back in 1991. Um, so Brian Davis actually makes your list. Dante Jones, you know, important. Nick Vanderland's always remembered for is being the goofy white guy. that got dunked on and then, you know, had pushups done, uh, uh over top of his prone, uh, body. Um, So absolutely on the list. You know, Zion, you said we talked about what's a player conference. Zion, I'm like, I don't know, Cam Newton, you know, like that's who he is. Like he's just such a freak, like to be that size. Uh, Corey Maggette, he was a freshman at Duke in 99 my sophomore year uh, at Duke. I remember the first time I ever saw this guy on campus. And it was just like he, he would play pickup in East Campus, you know, in the Brody Gym. And uh, you just saw him and you're like, man, I did not know people could look like that. Um, So yeah, Corey McGetty, absolutely on the list. Now you left one name off that you're going to feel bad about um, because he's a Maryland guy. He's near and dear to your heart. Uh, Nate James. Absolutely yeah. has to be on that list, you know. Nate James, remember we had like the, the the praying hands on this giant bicep. You know, it's like a smiley face on like an M sixteen. That gives or me man. Like, a good just... time
0: to say, I made a half court shot. At Stu Vetter basketball camp. Nate James is mean, my that's... coach at uh, that summer mm-hmm. camp, and I will add that as much as possible to every single episode we do. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, which of his muscles coached you? The man was like, uh, you know, is like, what what body percent body fat are you? Is like negative five. You know, he was nothing but muscle. So um, I think Nate absolutely has to be on there. And then, you know, who was even more intimidating than Nate was his uncle. You know, I remember back in uh, 2000 uh, when Duke went to Maryland at the old Cole Fieldhouse back when, you know, Maryland was still in the ACC and Maryland still played in Cole Fieldhouse. And, and ACC was, you know, that's our classic ACC. Um, and the uh, fans there threw the water bottles and, uh, and Nate James, the uncle, who I believe was a drill sergeant. Um, took Umbers to it, man. I'm telling you, he he did not want to mess with the James clan, um, you know. And he was a Baltimore guy. So, um, anyway, so Nate absolutely has to go on there. So that would be my one. No point and by the way, there. let me just no, say if, not, if this you know, is your
0: first time listening to Ray, besides uh, working for the old AOL fan house and Sports Illustrated, ed- editing for for them and writing, um, he. He uh, worked for the Chronicle, the Duke newspaper, and he has some stories. And, and we are going to do the first um, kind of segment of back in Ray's day a little bit later. But he's given just kind of a hint of some of these uh, little good time anecdotes. I'm um, just basic, guys, uncles and all kinds of stuff. And that is what I stuff that I would never know, which is re- it's really cool. If uh, you're a Duke fan, just a little behind the scenes action. So let's start with the um, player previews. I'm going two at a time. Starting, R.J. Barrett. I, I I'll say trust. That's the number one thing with him. When he's on the court, there's so much trust and intelligence. I, I, I just feel comfortable when he's running the team. He's always going to come ready to play. He he's great, has tremendous body control and just the tempo that he plays at, the speed. I mean, it's, it's really, I guess, lazy, um, too easy. But it's almost like James Harden light. He doesn't have nearly the outside shot at this point that Harden has. Um, he's working with, as I said before, Drew Hanlon. Hopefully that comes together. But I, th- I think he has. He doesn't have that elite, elite, elite athleticism, which isn't to say he doesn't have great athleticism. It's just not upper echelon like Zion, but uh, he knows how to play. He's just a student of the game. So that's how I describe, and I think that's the best way to describe
1: yeah i absolutely love his game i mean you can see why he's the number one player in his class you know there's there's not a lot of not a lot of question there you know he'll be an impact player from day one um you know i think he'll even be a more efficient player you know there's no one i've ever uh, had a crush on quite like jason tatum but i think he'll probably be a little bit more efficient player and part of that has to do with the supporting cast around him but um i think he'll be that kind of uh that kind of player for Duke. You know what I really like about him too is when he gets his, but he goes so far. He has this long stride, yep. like he can just get by you. He puts his shoulder down. And he's like a Geno hard
0: Euro step. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know what I think of when I think of being a Duke guy. I think Grant Hill. Yeah. Like Grant used to just he'd get by you and he would bounce. Like he just float. There was like, like gravity was different with Grant Hill. Like he didn't go all the way down or something. Man, he would just like hit the balls of his feet and just two steps and he was just like it was almost like he was on a, a trampoline or something and nobody else was you know and he would just glide past you and be up at the rim you know before you knew it and and that's kind of the thing with uh with rj that i say you know so he's just so good at that um so the question is going to be you know can he get the shot reliably uh, enough that uh people will you know have to respect him you know can you know do sort of what you know james harden has done right um. Or uh, you know. And then the second question is just going to be uh, defensively. You know, is he going to be sufficiently engaged? You know, when you watch some of the plays that he made in Canada, it's just you know, when you're a high school player, you can just coast a lot more. You don't have to be engaged off the ball as much because there just aren't as many guys that are going to hurt you. It's just a slower pace of play. So you know, is he going to be able to do that? Because sometimes he looked pretty good. You know, help side he looked good. Um, but you know from time to time you'd see him where he's not getting down in his stance you know i always say all you need to know about a guy you know playing defense is watch watch him in his defensive stance you know is does he get down in his stance does he stay down in his stance you know or is he standing up and taking taking breather? so he's gonna have to get used to that to really to really commit because uh the duke defense requires you to be engaged in the switch switch, switch defense you really have to be engaged constantly so that's the only thing I'm really worried about. That you know, and then again, getting the shot off. But can I just you know, say one thing? I'm,
0: I'm looking at a tweet from Paul B and Cardi from August second. Huh? It's a classic freshman response by R.J. Barrett on learning how to talk on defense. I know I'm supposed to talk on defense. I just don't know what to say. Defense is one of the bigger is one of the biggest adjustments for freshmen. So um, Biancari said R.J. has a chance to be an elite defender. Uh, I think that might have been a tweet thing. But, uh, I mean, yeah, he's he's learning. He's learning.
1: Yeah, I mean, anybody – he has a skill set, right? Anybody with that level of uh, basketball IQ and a decent uh, level of athleticism can be an elite defender. It's just are you going to be engaged and are you – kind of put in the work to do it, Um, particularly in Duke's defense. It is not easy for freshmen because you have to constantly be engaged off ball. You know, there really is no downtime. Um, So, you know, we'll see see if he gets there. So that's all I'm really looking for. But other than that, it'll just be another tremendous talent. You know, we talk about one and done and people hate it and whatever. And the thing I've always told you, you know, we talked about this before, is I like that the best players, you know, in that age bracket play our game. and We get to see them. You know, and as as those of us watching Duke, you get to see a, a high percentage of them. So you know, it'll be a it'll be a it'll be a pleasure to to watch him play. Yeah,
0: and I think one thing that, I mean, I didn't really watch him much, if any, in high school, but I, I didn't hear anyone talking about his passing and his unselfishness. I, I saw a lot of it. I think that's that has been has gone a little bit under the radar. All right, Zion Williamson, the human highlight reel, the guy who. I think everyone already who didn't hate Duke before and is not a fan of Duke now hates them just because Zion Williamson, everything he does is going to be everywhere, all over social media, all over the TV. He's a sensation. I think he had like what a billion like followers on Instagram when he was when, before he was born, probably. Uh, I, I mean, he he is a sensation. There has not been many like him. There's not been many who look like him. He. He weighs a lot. It's muscle. There was a the question before: Is Zion Williamson fat? It's like shut up. Uh, no, I mean, but it is a lot of weight to carry around.
1: Wouldn't say that to his face, oh, would you? God no.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of weight to carry around. But man, he he moves well. He glides. He's he, he moves so effortless effortlessly, and especially in transition. He's not just looking to dunk. He can actually re- really change hands and glide and finish in different ways. I think I was really impressed with just how creative he is. And I think he had a, like a couple threes his first exhibition game since then. I haven't seen him hit any. His shot is extremely flat. So I think that is going to be a work in progress. It could be trouble um, getting uh, teams to respect his outside shots. I think he, when teams zone Duke... A lot of it will be because of him. So he's going to have to be a willing passer. I think he is willing. Uh, in high school, I watched him on defense. He would cheat a lot to, to kind of make plays off the ball. Wasn't great on the ball. It's going to be an adjustment there. I mean, tons of adjustments. The I mean, season hasn't even started. Plenty of work to be done. But, man, I mean, he... He's a basketball player. That's my That was my biggest question about him. Is he a mixtape? he can do anything but dunk. I didn't know. It's not like I was doubting. I just didn't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he is a smart player. He is an unselfish player. And I think he's going to be an absolute weapon for Duke this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't be more excited. You know, I always talk about Rod- Rodney Rodgers, one of my favorite college basketball players I mean, of all you've time. You've already you know. mentioned him
0: like six times already. <laughs>
1: Son of Son of Durham, you know, I can't mention him enough, man. If anybody who's not watched him, just go back and watch Rodney Rogers highlights at Duke. You know, he, he even looks, you know, the way he plays the was game. Was that Roy Rogers, like bro? Uh, I don't believe good so. Good chicken but sandwich. I, will look I remember into good that chicken program. sandwich. Their, their names are uh, spelled and pronounced slightly differently, so um, <laughs> possibly not. But uh, yeah, Rodney, man, I'm telling So here's the thing: 1991 ACC Rookie of the Year. Rodney Rogers over Grant Hill. 1993, you think about how great Grant Hill was. You think about how great Bobby Hurley was. Set the NCAA all-time single uh, career record for assists. Um, you know, was the best player on a Duke team that was a very good team that year. North Carolina won the national championship with a senior, you know, George Lynch. Uh, you know, so many great players were in the ACC. ACC player of the year is not Hurley. It is not Lynch. It is not uh eric montross it is not you know grant hill rodney rogers you know that's how great a player he was and he developed a three-point shot he didn't come in with it um and uh, and that was a man's game back there and rodney dominated and rodney was six seven he was like 235 which was, seemed big back then you know zion is what 275 or something like that you know so when you think about what are comps you know that's where i go to and you know i I love you was know that, rodney, was that it's just,
0: it, just, with Muggsy or is that after
1: no, 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 that was well know, after Muggsy. Memory. You know, his first, it was 91, so yeah. Um, but he was, at the beginning, like, he overlapped. I think he overlapped the year with Childress. You know, let's always say 1991, the year 1991, just is a small side, this is when college basketball hits perfection. The and AC, the ACC 1991 is college basketball perfection. You know, Duke wins a national title, Georgia Tech. Um, you know, was in the final four. Every school in the ACC, or excuse me, uh, 91 was, uh, Carolina was in the final four. 90 was uh, Georgia Tech made the final four. Every school in the ACC at some point during that year as one of their top five all-time players on campus, the only exception is North Carolina. And that has to do more with, um, you know, how many great players have played at North Carolina because that was still a great team. They went to the final four. Um, but uh, that is college basketball perfection. So back to Zion. Um, so obviously very, you know, excited to see him play because there's so few players like that in college basketball i talked about him you know the other comp you think of is corliss williamson but corliss was only 245 he didn't shoot threes so he didn't have the full skill set you know obviously best player on a national championship team in 1994
0: yeah i mean I'm um, barkley, so, too. I mean, these guys are just a lot yeah but i just you know barkley just
1: wasn't even that he wasn't that big at all you know and it's just it's a different it's a way different era it's just But his footwork is so good. Like, he had a play against, um, you know, Virginia Union where they fed the ball to him in the post. and He had his man posted up. And, you know, a guy with that frame is going to be able to post up just about anybody. Um, And uh, he had this nifty little forward, just went right around him. You know, it was just a nice play. And you're like, man, that looked really – you know, it was kind of like – it was almost like Julia Locafor with the footwork. He doesn't have the finish and the quick touch and, you know, the hands that – that Okafor had or an Antoine Jamison had. But that footwork, you know, is right there um, on that play at least, which is really nice to see because you, you worry about a guy like that who's so physically overwhelming just getting by on his physical tools, but he's really got something going for him. Now, the one thing that I'm worried about with him, he is going to set the ACC all-time single-season record for being whistled for anticipated charges, you know, like when you're coming down and and the ref blows the whistle before contact even happens, that's going to be Zion. He's going to have to worry about that. You know, people are going to see that free train coming and and that whistle is going to go, you know, right in the lip. So, um, you know, there's some things he's going to have to he's going to have to figure out. Um, you know, to your point about his shot, his free throw is really flat, which is unusual. Like, I mean, especially for a guy who's only six seven. You know, I see that a lot with the with the seven footers and the taller guys. So. That's something he's going to have to work on. Um, he needs to be a consistent threat from that free throw line, but I think he is such a good passer that, that you know, he'll be able to get by just by moving the ball. So, but um, yeah, he's a unique, unique talent. I think, you know, to me, again, that, that's going to be the highlight of my season. You as great as the basketball science of RJ Barrett is. Um, I'm just interested to see what this, you know, um, Cam Newton on a basketball court is going
0: to do. You saying your highlights going to be Zion to me, I think you just took a little cheap shot at Mike Buckmeyer and I don't appreciate it, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, yeah. And the last thing about Zion, I'd be interested to know how just how big his hands are because when I say he plays bigger than, than he does in rebounds, he, he really, he can just grab the ball from anyone. Um, I mean, bigger than you are. I mean, it's not a matter of size. He, he plays, like, taller than he is, which is one of the reasons, as we'll discuss later, where he might be able to play some minutes at the five. But, I mean, yeah, he has really, really strong hands and is physical inside, and he will just rip the ball away from anyone. If he wants the ball, there's a, there's a good chance he's going to get it. It's almost like Adrian Peterson in there. All right, so um, before we move on to the next two, let's take a little break for a debate. How should one and done teams? You could we can even say this Duke team be defined and judged because with in 2015 Quinn Cook he he brought about the slogan uh, "We're banner hunting." Said so now it's all about the like sights on six, all that stuff, all the all the good little cliches. Um, so should this team and just one one and done teams in general? I mean they've had some trouble winning uh, postseason titles, tournaments, whatever. Um, with ACC, the uh, regular season, they haven't won s- since 2010. Uh, tournament, they haven't won since 2000- – well, they won in 2017, and I think in 2012 also. 2012 wasn't really one and done. Kyrie was out too much. But 2017, that was the four games in four days. And then the a tournament, obviously, 2015. But they haven't brought down too many. But, I mean, they've still been heck- – they've been great teams. So do we consider them fit? Failures because they haven't how do we judge this team? It's just is it improvement throughout the year? Do we stop judging hope for the best evaluate realistically and enjoy as long as Duke beats UNC? Do we consider that um, a win or based on this season? It's just as long as Duke doesn't lose to Georgia Tech, then everything's okay.
1: So, I mean, look, let's be honest with Duke basketball. Um You're judged by the banners you hang in Cameron. So, the banners that hang in Cameron now, so it didn't used to be this way. In the old days, Duke had ACC championship banners in there. Um, They had, uh, you know, uh, the tournament, ACC tournament things. You go into Cameron now, you know, it's Final Fours, it's you know, uh, it's it's uh, retired jerseys, right? Uh, you know, all that other stuff that used to hang in there is now out in the walkway outside. So what are you judging a Duke team by? It's 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 like um, Quinn Cook said that year, you know, where's my banner? What do I have here? You know, you'll hear Mike Jeffsie say that, and you know, you heard it all the time that year with Quinn Cook, you know, he's such a great leader, and he bought into this philosophy of You know, when I come back to Cameron, what do I show them that I did, you know, in the stadium? So, you know, that makes it about Final Four banners, you know. So that's always going to be how a Duke team is judged. I don't think at this point you can have a Duke team do something less than the Final Four and, you know, people consider it a success. No, that's not entirely fair, right? The tournament's random. You know, I said last year's team. I mean, last year was a really good team, Um, you know, and I said at the end of the year, you know, you can be disappointed for these guys, but you can't be disappointed in them because you came within a – all rolling out of the rim, you know, like Grayson Allen shot, which maybe or maybe not Grayson Allen should have been taking. Um, but uh, that's how close you came to going to a Final Four and leaving an actual, you know, a, a long-lasting mark on the program. So, I mean, that's always how it's going to be judged. But, you know, you go into the season and you have goals and every team does. You want to win your preseason tournament. You want to win the ACC regular season. You want to beat Carolina twice, maybe three times if possible. Uh, you want to win the ACC tournament, make the final four and win the national title. So every year you go in with those sets of goals. So, you know, it depends on the viewpoint you're looking at it. But I think ultimately, you know, Duke is always going to be defined by did you go to the final four? That's just the nature of being a successful, um, a successful program. And, you know, by that metric, when we talk about the one and done era, um, you know, Duke has legitimately had two real, you know, the 2015 team and the 2017 team uh, and then this upcoming team, um you know that were really built around um that were really built entirely around the one and done right? in, in 2018, right So out of those three teams uh, you have a national championship, you have an ACC tournament championship which you know maybe doesn't mean a lot you ran into a hot South Carolina team Man, they uh, been playing yeah play,
0: exactly they're playing in there
1: in their backyard and playing in their backyard because that was just you know 2017 was such a star cross year. everybody got hurt Mike Cheshevsky got hurt. the reason you wound up playing in South Carolina, was because of the coaching decision made by Jeff Cable to take Frank Jackson off of Dennis Smith Junior. And uh took him out of the game and, you know, put Matt Jones on him and God bless Matt Jones, but that's not the situation he should have been in. DSJ leads a bad NC state team back against you and Cameron, and that's the difference in seed lines. Um, you know, that team is probably a number one seed after winning the tournament if they win that game. Maybe, right? So it is what it is, right? But out of those three teams, you know, you have fairly good run success. You have a national championship, you have an elite eight, you have um an acc tournament championship so for duke maybe you consider that two out of three didn't work out um if you're a rational fan you go well it's you know two out of three that we got you know uh pretty good and any lead eight is nothing to sneeze at um so you know i i think if we're being rational about it we would have to judge those teams based on their entire body of work but the reality of the situation is that duke, he know whether you went to the final four or not so you we know, one and done teams. You're talking about a one out of three success rate, which is still, you know, uh, still still pretty good. You know, uh, in, in the grand scheme. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's like if we were looking at a 1942 team, all we have to go on is how did they do in the in the long run? Did they win the championship? So it's a matter of if team if somebody's looking at this Duke team 20 years from now, that's what they'll know. But if we we're watching more closely, like us. Obviously there's more context to it So it's just I think it's context dependent uh, One thing that's interesting It's kind of funny is uh, I remember Coach K He wouldn't put up the 1990 Final Four banner Until the team, everyone on the team graduated And it's just amazing to think That would never happen now Like 2015 Somehow I think that banner is uh, already up
1: yeah, but, you know, it is with retired jerseys, you know. Like, Elton Brand's jersey is not in the rafters. 42 is still in rotation, uh, you know. So, um, you know, I, I think that standard still holds to, 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 to some degree. But, um, yeah, it's just a different era, you know, and you can't fault the guys. It, it, it's kind of unfair to punish the team at this at this juncture um, because it's just it's a different environment where – you you're going to go after one year. So, you know, if R.J. Barrett makes the best decision for him, which is to go pro after this year, um, you know, it's kind of hard to, to punish the the team, you know. It's just it's, – it's a different era. Um, so um,
0: – Okay. Let's move on to the next two of our uh, player previews. I have Trey, not Tyus Jones. And I would say – the thing with him is how much it helps him just to know exactly what Coach K wants from a point guard in the one-and-done air because it's such a different position and such a different role than in point guards on other teams playing for other coaches might have it. It's just it's you, you really have to be on the same page. And I think that has been trouble, as you said, with guys like Quinn Cook at first, with um, Derek Thornton, with Frank Jackson – with, uh, with, with many, and that's through, through no fault of their own, I, I would think. It's just uh, Trey is going in, knowing exactly what's going on, keep the ball moving, and basically just... It's almost hit the accelerator when the time comes. But but I mean if you remember Tyus, people think about the end of games and that's when he took over. But a lot of the time he was just keeping the ball moving and being amazing in transition. I mean that you have to be as a Duke point guard, but it's just keeping the ball moving and hitting outside shots. That's the question which right like, can he knock down the outside shots? Form looks pretty good. The results have been a little sketchy from what I saw of the stats in high school and from what I saw. If the exhibition games and his defense, um, I said before, Coach K gave some high comparisons. I think he's a great defender, good instincts. Time uh, we will see how well he can kind of stick with the really uber athletic guys. We'll see how good his first step is. So I, th- I think it's a lot of wait and see. But he's smart, he's instinctual, and I think he's he just makes the right decisions, m- mass majority of the time.
1: Yeah, and I think he's going to have that trust. I think it goes back to the Tyus equity, you know, from from being around the family. Um, You know, so you won't have uh, so much change over at that position. Um, But, you know, he is excellent in transition. That's going to be great with this team. I think he's going to be a guy that's kind of like – I'm going to throw out another Carolina player reference. Uh, I don't know why I've had so many of those tonight. But um, Ed Cota, man. So Ed Cota – you know, you used to look up, and that guy had 12 assists, and you're like, wow, what did that happen? And a lot of what happened was the break was so good on that team because he was a point guard who could find the man, uh, the open man, and he had so many uh, guys who could run the floor and uh, just get to the rim. Um, you know, that was the Vince Carter, of course, the Anton Jamisons, you know, Joe Forte, um, his senior year. Uh, so, I, you know, I think you're going to see some of that with Tyus. You're going to look up, and he's going to have nine assists, and you be, oh, that's great, you know? So uh, I think he's going to be that kind of player. And he's just, you know, again, he's great out in the open court. And he just he seems to have a good presence about him. You know, there doesn't seem to be any controversy. You know, and really, there's not a really good option, you know, he's going to be able to play through whatever mistakes he has, I think, because there's just not another good option. I mean, yeah, Jordan Goldwire can give us some minutes off the bench. And I think he actually looks pretty good. And, and hopefully they'll give him a few minutes instead of just sliding, um, you know, Barrett or Reddish uh, over um but uh, i think he's going to be able to play through his mistakes so i, I think it'll be a, i think it'll be a nice season for him i'm sure at some point um he will he will have that learning curve you know even tyus you know there was a point uh before that virginia game in tyus's career where there were certain you know um fans of you know various levels of intellect who you know wanted to bench tyus you know they were tired of seeing tyus play so um you know we sort of forget how these things go there's always tough spots in the season there's always going to be a couple of games where things don't go well so but I think he's going to have the ability to play through that I don't think there's going to be as quick of a a leash as there was with um you know Duval going back to the bench or you know with Derek Thornton so you know I think it's going to work out uh I think it's going to work out well for Duke and I think it'll be the best transition team that that Duke has has fielded it's going to be interesting
0: real quick because uh Kentucky's got this guy Emmanuel quickly. He is like a velociraptor on defense, and he is he. Uh-huh. Uh, Trey, better be ready. All right, so
1: and, go- uh, I know we don't have a Kentucky preview on here, but just you know, the, the one thing about that, you know, I, I'm not a big guy. I, I'm not a big guy. I, I'm no Danny Mahara. I'm not a big man. I'm not the type who uh, worries too much about the freshman thing, the youth thing. But the one place I do worry about it is very early in the year um you know i always think it's sort of like you know the, the superhero figuring out what his powers are you know early in the year and you're gonna you're gonna fall down and things like that you know we saw it last year in that michigan state game where even though duke won the game they really struggled in transition defense to keep up um you know you're, you're just not used to that pace of play and then to hop right in with a guy like reed travis and you know some of the you know Washington, pj washington and some of the some of the experienced players that you know kentucky has uh is is a little bit of a is a little bit of a concern there, you know. And you think even like Grayson Allen, you remember his sophomore year where he played Kentucky and uh, he just struggled because he kept driving right into the paint he kept going, you know, right, wouldn't go left. And, you know, that was more like a freshman year for him because he played so few minutes, um, you know, the previous year. So that is the one place that uh, it does worry me a little bit. And, uh, yeah, we're going to see very quickly, you know, if Tyus and the freshman come out of that game performing well, then I think it'll be a great um, – you know, great for yeah, great bellwether. Yeah, Kentucky
0: season. has some monsters in the front court, and uh, again, context dependent. But I did like the fact that I think Trey had nine rebounds against Ferris State. Um, so I, I, I mean, it's against Ferris State, but whatever. It, it was nice to see yeah. team rebounding. All right, so moving on, uh, Cam Reddish. You got uh, North Carolina. You got Cam Newton. You got Cameron Indoor Stadium. Now you got Cam Reddish. So I think he's kind of going to be a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. He's going to look amazing at times. Then other times, you're going to wonder, what what is he doing? I think it's just about developing consistency with him. He has all the talent in the world. He can get anywhere he wants to on the court on offense. Smart player, has as much ability as anyone, just putting it together. I think he has the most well-rounded game, possibly, of anyone. But I, I think it's the, the motor. There's, there's questions. I... He admits it himself. This isn't just a random statement. Um, he says, I need to bring it all the time. I, I think there's going to be times when people unfairly watch him because of how he says, just the way he looks. It almost seems like sometimes it seems like he doesn't care on the court, but it's just the way he looks. So I think we have to worry about or watch out for being a body language, facial expression expert. But Cam Reddish is the X factor for me. He is going to be the guy who can really... Uh, Turn Duke from being a competitive team into a great team defense is where I have a lot of questions because uh, they play a basic two three in high school and yeah, I mean just in terms of being Active and being engaged. There are some issues So he has to really bring that all the time because there are questions about his defense so I think if he can bring it on the defense it'll translate over to the offense and i think his teammates need to help him out because his talent you can't teach
1: yeah uh, so i you know I, I think he's certainly an important player because he's one of the guys that you're going to depend on to be able to hit it from deep and he's got a nice quick release you know he brings the ball down a little he sort of does the gary trent thing you know again this is just based off of a couple of exhibition games and you know, guys will shoot a little bit differently when they have space and you have more space against a Ferris Bueller. We'll add real quick,
0: I think something happened uh, where he had hurt ribs and Coach Case said that was affecting his shot. I yeah. Don't
1: know. Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, but that taking it down thing is something that, you know, like Gary Trent did that a little bit Matt last Jones. year. You just. You, uh, yeah, right. Matt Jones is a classy example, right? So Matt Jones could never get a shot off and, and you know, contested um but you know if you leave them open and Matt Jones is a great reminder if your mechanics are repeatable you can hit shots you know i always get you know i think some of us really get into shot mechanics and, and looking like the textbook sort of thing um but it's just a great reminder that if you can repeat your mechanics you know you can be larry bird you know, west you can, miller it you it's
0: like
1: ugly looking like yeah, but it'll it'll go in you know um so, yeah, I think Reddish is important in that regard. He's got to keep spacing because, this is again, this is the thing about this team. You're going to have to be able to create spacing because the offensive strength of this team is going to be the guys slashing and you just aren't going to be able to do that if, if teams just pack the lane against you. So they're going to need him to, to do that. You know, the same back with uh, with Trey. You know, I think Trey's going to be able to keep teams honest because he's a guy that you absolutely have to play off a little bit because if you play off on him and he goes by you, once you get the defense out of position with an offense like Duke, uh, it's really going to be hard for the defense to catch up. There's so many guys that can cut to the rim and can finish at the rim um, that it's going to be difficult. So, yeah, I think, you know, uh, you know, uh, they'll, they'll count on Cam for that. And uh, by the way, you forgot Cam Ward, uh, Con Smythe winner from 2006 among the great, you know, Cam's of North Carolina. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think he'll be a key player and I think he's a, absolutely going to be that guy that's a Tatum Island player, you know, where everybody is just ripping on Jason Tatum and, you know, we'll watch him and going, How do you not appreciate this? You know, I know some shots aren't going in and he's he's taking a lot of shots because nobody else is stepping up. Now, I don't think that'll happen this year. It certainly happened with Tatum though. Um, but uh, I think he'll absolutely be that lightning lightning, you know, bolt uh guy, lightning rod guy, like uh, you know, Gary Trent was a little bit last year. Duval of course took most of the heat from him in that regard. Um but yeah, I think he's gonna be a I think he's gonna be a a, a, tremendous, a tremendous talent for Duke, and he's gonna be the guy that scores twenty eight one night and then goes two for twelve the next night, and he's not necessarily doing things um, that are that are so different. He, and um, yeah,
0: I think I think Tatum was a little more of an alpha, or actually a lot more. Just immediately, I'm not saying Cam can't become that. Um, I, one thing I did like, he's really crafty just in terms of getting to the line. And I think this Duke team because of the uh which i assume or i would think based on what i've seen will be at times struggling to shoot from outside i think they are going to need to find ways to generate points um and getting to the line is a great way and cam he he's almost sneaky good at drawing fouls and that's a skill that's a definite skill. That That's something where as aggressive as a guy like Trevon Duval was last season, he tended to avoid contact at the rim, and whether or not that had somewhat to do with some poor free throw shooting, I don't know. But Cam, he, he goes strong to the rim, and the more time he spends at the line, the better. So I really like that. All right, so break before we go to the next two players. Another starting five, Southpaws in the K era. And I'm including Luke Kennard because, yes, he was officially right-handed, but he shot left. And I'm not including R.J. Barrett and Zion because they haven't officially played a game. All right, so my, uh, my starting five, not based on position at all, just top five. Uh, Johnny Dawkins, the legend. Marvin Bagley, the recent legend. Luke Kennard, Thomas Hill, and Justice Winslow. Other options, I have Rodney Hood. Elliot Williams, Josh McRoberts, Lee Malchione, the short-lived Taylor <laughs> King, and uh, I think Todd <laughs> Uh,
1: Yeah, the assassin, Lee Malchione, the second generation. You know, his dad played it um, Duke. I believe he was a, a preferred walk-on who got a scholarship or something like that at, at some point. So, yeah, you know, certainly overachieved. Um, Josh McRoberts, you know, as skilled a player as that guy was, he always felt like there was – Unfulfilled potential there, um, you know, and that was year He and Paulus came in together, and that was, uh, you know, we're, Duke was very excited about the, the recruiting class. And then that just it, it turned out to be this is the thing you just can't predict. This game is cyclical, and it's really hard to predict. And when those two came in, it looked like it was going to be the bedrock for the next, you know, era of Duke basketball. And instead, you wind up, you know, with what is sort of the nadir well, of Kyle Singler, you right? know the recent K area, K K uh, K era. So. Um, you know, um, certainly some,
0: uh, so, so would you make any guy- substitutions <laughs> or changes to my, uh, my top five
1: in the K area? Uh, you know, uh, I, I guess not off the top of my head. Um, you know, the great Jack Marin was uh lefty back in the day, the prototype Luke Kennard, you know, if you've never seen now he predates no me, but, uh, <laughs> Washington bullets legend. Uh, uh, Jack Marin. Uh, yeah. You know, he's right up there with uh, Austin Rivers in terms of Duke alumni. Oh, uh, actually, he was an All Star. You know, he's a pretty good player. Um, but he predates me. Uh, he, he's 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 an old school, um, you know, guy from uh, early seventies at Duke. But you know, he's the guy that uh, you know a lot of people talked about uh, Luke Kennard making the call to him. So. Okay. But, uh, you know, I mean, Rodney Hood, yeah, it's hard to keep up. I mean, Thomas Hill did a lot, but, man, if you, need a, if you need a bucket, you know, Rodney. And Rodney Hood was a really good defender, too. You know, he was sort of a – he gets lost because that year, that 2014 season was just, you know, it was it was sort of a lost season. You, you, want, you think um,
0: about Cam Reddish. I would say Rodney Hood could be an interesting uh, comparison because huh? these big games – I think, like, Rodney Hood took, like, four shots when Duke lost in the first round with Mercer – and it's just what, what are you doing? So I, I think that could be an interesting.
1: He was guy, you know, He was the guy that the Clemson game. You're like, why is Rodney Hood not starting? And he was, you know, he was puking in the locker room. I believe was the story. So you know, um, uh, yeah. So he wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, nerves of steel. But um, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he was a heck of a player once he was engaged. You know, he and Jabari that was a heck of a one two punch for a team that. That just didn't do much, but they didn't have the consistency at the point guard. They didn't have anybody to, to grab the choke chain when things were going wrong. And then they wound up, you know, with Jabari playing some defensively at the five, which was not good, or uh, Emil Jefferson playing undersized at the five. So, um,
0: Okay, moving on to the next two, we have uh, Alex O'Connell and Mar- Marquise Bolden. So let's start with O'Connell, who... I don't even know why. I've named uh, Wet Lettuce. Wet because he shoots uh, wet jumpers. Lettuce because his hair changes every single time I see him. It never looks the same two times in a row when I see him. So he's just a ball of energy, really really good attitude, constantly moving. Defense has some issues. We'll see if that's improved consistently when the season starts. But I think just the energy and especially the outside shooting he'll provide. I'd like to see um, – K really makes some effort to set up plays to get him the ball. And that's what, what I said about kind of in early on where it seems there's basic principles of the offense, but too often there's really not many sets so I would like to see some design to get him in the ball. You don't want to have a guy like that just kind of standing around because he, he provides so much. The energy is infectious. So I think O'Connor with the outside shooting with, on, on the break, he's a great passer. He keeps the ball moving. Um, I, I think he could have a big role. Maybe even like a uh, Vinnie Johnson microwave off the bench.
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, two things about O'Connell. I don't think you ever have to worry about him standing around. Um, you know, he's really good moving without the ball. Um, uh, second thing, I don't think we're gonna make wet lattice happen. So oh, you know, as your friend, I might I'm gonna I'm gonna talk you back off the ledge with that one. Um, just put that a little more time in the shop. Uh <laughs> see what you can with. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I like O'Connell. I think they gotta find minutes for him. I don't know if they have to find plays for him necessarily because he tends to make plays. You get the ball in his hands, you talk about the ball move, Watch the ball hit his hands and how quickly it gets in and out. It never ever stops on Alex O'Connell. This was true last year. You know, it's true uh, what we've seen of him. You know, the, the few minutes he played in in uh, in uh, Canada before he got the you know the Danny Maher treatment, I guess, uh, and uh, and you know it, it had the eye injury or uh, um, I forget exactly what it was uh but uh you know you, you saw that in the exhibition games the ball just moves it hits his hands and it moves um he has really good court vision you know a lot of people talk about his three-point shooting that's great you know last year he's 22 for 45 so you know he's almost 50 percent so he's your best shooter coming back the stroke looks like the kind of stroke i mean you're probably not going to shoot 48 49 but it looks every bit the 42 43 you know kind of stroke that you could expect um but uh but he moves the ball so well, and his court vision is so good, he sees guys. He just makes things happen. So you don't even have to run plays for him. You just got to get him in the game, and the ball is going to go through him, and he's going to find plays. So he's the one guy that we that Duke really needs to figure out a way just to get minutes for. It's a little bit tough because, you know, you're not going to play him with the one, so you got to find some minutes at the two, maybe the three. Um, And you obviously have R.J. Barrett that you want to take every minute that he can eat. And, you know, Jim Reddish, you want to give him every minute that – that, that he can handle so um you know you're gonna have to figure out where he can play but i think he's gonna be a real uh important factor for duke and he could absolutely be that guy you talk about benny johnson but you know shesky loves those guys that he can take in off the bench and just say go get it and let that energy be an example so you know i think he's gonna be a much more important player than um than you know than, than he's being counted on going into the season
0: all right so next we have marquise bolden i think bolden while wow, cam reddish is going to be very uh, hot and cold for some. Um, Marquise Bolden, I think people just obsess so much about recruiting rankings that because he wasn't dominant immediately, he was he was just immediately a bust in, in the eyes of the typical people who see players that way. When you think about it, he was sick and injured a lot of his freshman year. And then l- last year... I don't know who wanted him to start over Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley. That's a tough ask. So I think he did a fantastic job in the role he was given. And especially considering a zone, he is not built for that role. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I really hope Duke doesn't play much zone this year or isn't forced to play because that doesn't suit his style. But with more men, I think he could really provide a lift on defense for Duke and provide that rim protector so Zion can kind of uh, can can hunt shots from uh, the weak side where she's so good at and help out there and and gang rebound he got a lot of crap he he wasn't really strong with the ball I think he was still learning what to do in the system with the kind of when he's on the court four and a half out instead of five out when Javin Delorier, who we'll talk about uh, later, um, is on. So the, he wasn't quite sure what to do. If he's getting the ball on the elbow and everyone's just standing there because there's no design set play for them to do, he he, he was kind of just lost. That is understandable. Not being strong going up with the ball, he's got he's to be better with that. And uh, the final game against uh, Virginia – wait, was it uh, – the final game against Ferris State – Man, he had some great stretches, especially just offense, defense, offense, defense. First four possessions after the at the start of the second half, best I've seen him at Duke. I mean, if he can bring that, even if it's for twenty minutes, splitting with Javin, um, I think he will be such a huge factor. And I think he's already made most forget about Canada and remember that he he was uh, he was uh, I think he finished second. Um on duke and win shares in conference play he, when he was in he made a positive impact for duke and uh Yeah, so I I, th- I think I am hoping for the best Kay was saying he could have a great season before it started And he wasn't ripping him after the canada games just saying he's got to be better and you know what he was So I, i'm really excited to see what he can bring hopefully Consistency this season
1: Yep, I'm a big Marquis Bolden fan I think he's got to be the starting five I uh, I don't think he can uh, I don't think he can be as successful playing uh, Deloria there but I think so the challenges with him yeah he gets the knock for the you know not looking ball but I think that's just um, armchair psychology at its worst um so the things he needs to work on yeah he has to be strong with the ball uh, so he needs to use his base more right these are all correctable things you know you go from the base up it's not just the top up you know we've seen Duke players do that they've you know grown out of it. Um, they've become better, so that's completely coachable. And uh, we've seen him do that in spurts last year. So it's just a matter of putting it together. And this is again, this is not unusual. Big men take time to develop. It's just the way, uh, especially your traditional, you know, back to the basket kind of big men. Most are not offensively gifted like Loca Okafor. They're, you know, it just takes a longer time for these guys to develop. So three years is a perfectly normal development curve. I mean, what were people saying about Brian Zuback? That, that you he know, makes great expect- progress. Where- as uh and what's that's
0: great cream puffs
1: no one's saying that because oh you i had thought that's what everyone dream was Puff saying my,
0: my fault
1: no no dream puffs uh closed unfortunately uh a few oh, uh that's a shame. I, I don't even know if we made it here so you know we'll we'll, we'll pour some uh, uh filling out for for uh for big z but you know it just it takes longer and you know injuries and whatever but that's it's just This is we we get so impatient in this one and done era that big men take longer to vote so the base thing you'll I think he'll take care of that. second thing is just the speed at which he makes decisions. He'll catch the ball and wait a little bit too long, and then you have the guards collapsing down, and everybody's got their hands in there, and then all of a sudden it's a problem. Um, So we saw some of that last year when he played, you know, toward the end of the year. He was really starting to figure that out. So I think, you know, as we go through this year, he'll move from a guy who's figuring that out in spurts to a guy who figures that out consistently. Consistently. Um, To your point about rim protection, this is the biggest reason he needs to play. Like last year, he had a 7.5% block percentage, which is right up there with Wendell Carter, the seven-six, one. He is exactly the kind of guy who can anchor the back of that defense, and you absolutely need it in this pick-and-roll era and the way that Duke plays defense because somebody is going to get beat. If you're just switching five, if you're switching all five, it's really going to be a challenge. And someone gets beat, the defense starts collapsing, and then all of a sudden it's just a game of dominoes until it all falls over and there's nothing left there. So, uh, yeah, I think he absolutely uh, has to be uh, the guy there. Now, I will actually say, talking about body language with him, one of the things I always liked about Mark Bolden it's always made me think that he is eminently coachable, is if you watch him run back in transition, or even if he's coming off, um, if he comes out nice ices a screen, he's going back to his position, when he retreats, he does so with his hands up in the air, just like you're taught, you know, when you go to Stu Vetter's uh, camp, and Nate James is, uh, you know, flexing his biceps next to you, and, you know, whatever whatever it is that, that happened at your Nate James and Stu Vetter camp, um, they teach you to run back with your hands up in the passing lane. Now, the downside is you look goofier than hell doing it, but it is a very effective way to play basketball. When you watch, you know, Bolden out in transition, when he's running back, his hands are up. So anybody who's willing to look that goofy on national television is a coachable basketball player. So I don't... uh I don't worry about him. I think he's going to be an asset for Duke. I think he's going to play the majority. I hope he's going to play the majority of the minutes. I shouldn't say I think because, you know, Shashevsky loves his five interchangeable, you know, position idea. Um, but I think he needs to be the anchor of the back line of that defense. And I think, uh, I think the offense will come, um, at least enough to be credible. Um and uh and and that's the route that you know Duke needs to go. As we talk about the fifth starter, we can you know carry that conversation on.
0: I mean, the crazy thing was I was saying four and a half uh, out when he's in, and then he took a three pointer in the first half against Ferris State. I'm like, what's going on? I actually tweeted, drink. Uh, Bolden just shot a three pointer, drink. And then in the second half, he shot another and he made it. And I tweeted like, Bolden made a three pointer, drink heavily. And I, 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 we are at such a crazy point in basketball where it's just everyone can shoot and everyone that's oh, what Lord. they're taught to do yeah. it's it's just wild to me i mean bolden is the last person in the world i could have imagined taking a shot no matter what kind of basketball three-point revolution is there i did not expect that if he can shoot i mean it, it yeah it'll open up the lanes and i mean that'll be amazing i'm not expecting it but man that that would be a. An interesting and nice surprise.
1: This is the era of basketball that we live in, where everybody thinks they're uh, Steph Curry and Marshall Plumley, you know, real sharpshooters like that. So, uh, you know, we'll see. You know, Marshall Plumley, of course, graduated as Duke's all-time percentage leader in three pointers, going one for one uh, in that uh, in that memorable game. I think, so, I think it was uh, Marshall yeah. Redick.
0: So I think this is about the time we're going to have our first segment of Back in Ray's Day.
1: Yes, back when things were better and we played Rock Lobster all the time in Cameron. And uh, yes, uh, the, the golden era, as I like to refer to it. Did you know that Duke once played the Soviet national team in Cameron Indoor Stadium? I did not. They did. So this is what used to happen back in the day. They actually also played the Italian team once. Um, They played the Australian team when I was in college there. And the Australian team was uh, sponsored by a potato chip company. So they were called the uh, Australian Smith Boomers or something like that. Um, So that team had Andrew Gaze, the, uh, you know, the uh, Seton Hall star who had beat Duke in 1989 when Duke went to the final four and they lost to Seton Hall. Um, He was, of course, the star of that team. The P.J. Carlissimo team that went on to lose to uh, Michigan in the national championship game. Um, so he came back and played, but this is what used to happen. So yeah, in uh, 1991, so this was the legendary 1992 uh, Duke basketball team, which went wire to wire number one, uh, and uh, you know beat Kentucky in that great elite elite eight game, beat Indiana in the final four, went on to beat the Fab Five. Uh, in the national championship year that they started that year by playing the soviet national team somewhere i don't know where it is i have a shirt from that game that has mikhail gorbachev uh on the back of it Uh, i wish i could find it but the game is actually on youtube at least highlights of it are so you should put it out on your twitter feed so that people can can and watch it. But yeah, Duke won that game 90 to 70. Another interesting thing about that game, it was November 23rd. I had to look this up. So that's how late in the season we were still playing exhibition basketball uh, as recently as the 1992 season. Duke didn't play its first game until November 25th that year. So, But what I wanted to talk about was this is the way things used to be done. So we're getting through the exhibition season now. Duke has played uh, Virginia Union, uh, you know, the CIAA uh, team uh and they've also played uh ferris bueller state which was division two national champions right so the way that college basketball preseason works now is you have to play a four-year school which is either ncaa or i think you can play an NAIA school if you want to as well but it has to be a four-year school in the olden days it wasn't that Way. So the preseason was always interesting to see who would come back and play. So you would play teams like Marathon Oil, which was a barnstorming team that would come around and play, usually made up of you know, former college players, athletes in action. Was always did they ever play the
0: Harlem, Harlem Globetrotters?
1: You did not play the Harlem Globetrotters, to my knowledge. And I had a trouble finding this. I was actually going back trying to find newspaper articles. I remember these games going to them. You know, as an undergrad at Duke, I remember Marathon Oil. Um, you know, and then you would play CBA team. So the CBA used to be a thing before uh, uh, Isaiah Thomas took over, right? So you would play the Yakima Sun Kings um, would be in your building. Um, but, yeah, so Duke, uh, you know, 1991, November 1991, they uh, play uh, the Soviet national team. There are those who will say that the collapse of the Soviet Union was due to the expansive territory, the heterogeneous, you know, the uh, empire spread out. Some will say they simply spent the dissolution. I will say it was Kenny Blakeney dropping buckets on him. Once Kenny Blakeney was going uh, and scoring points again, you really didn't have much, you know, claim to, to statehood at that point. And uh, I really recommend watching the highlights on YouTube uh, if, if, if possible. Um, you can see Cherokee Parks as a freshman. He has a plumbly-style reverse dunk, you know? It's just interesting to see uh, that team, you know, Grant Hill uh, on that team. So, um, but that was just interesting. You know, back in the day, they used to do things like this. So, the Australian team, the Yakima Sun team, of course, the Russian national team. The, the Australian the pre-season, team I was Marathon was, Oil? Was, no, 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 the Australian team was Australian Smiths Boomers. Uh, was I was hoping playing. it was
0: Marathon Oil because then I then no. I can make a, a midnight oil beds are burning too.
1: Well, you can make it anyway, Uh, but, uh, you know, I feel like as a comedian, you should have something to work with Australian Smiths and Boomer which is, uh, um, so in preseason of 2001, my senior year at Duke University, uh, Duke won national championship that year. The two are definitely uh, related. Um, Grand Rapids Hoops came back. They had Tony Lang, who was, of course, a key player on the back-to-back uh, championship teams, and he graduated. I believe he was, uh, believe he was class of 94. Um, and uh, he came back and played uh, as, a, as a 28, 29-year-old. So that was the interesting thing. You would play these grown men. So you really got competition in the exhibition, you know. That game, Jason Williams kind of got owned. Jason Williams scored two points. You know, he'd go on to be, uh, you know, uh Oh, ACC Player of the Year with Shane Battier that year, obviously went to uh, you know national championship. Just a tremendous player for Duke, All-American. Scored two points against the Grand Rapids. You know, I think he had ten dimes, but but he, he was out to ten points. But that brings me to the greatest team of them all. So it used to be EA Sports uh, with sponsored teams and they would come around and play. So interesting players to come back to Cameron. Ed O'Bannon came to Cameron um, as an EA Sport All-Star, which just, you know, having been a legend at UCLA, it's, it's kind of, it seems like a little bit of a step down, but there he was. And of course, it's ironic that he would his, uh, sue uh the NCAA and EA Sports over, over the licensing thing. Adonis Jordan, you know, from Kansas, played on that team. But the greatest moment EA Sports ever had actually wasn't about Duke in 2001. You knew that North Carolina was suddenly in trouble when they went out and lost to the EA Sports All Stars by 31. They lost by 31 in their first preseason game. I remember very specifically sitting in the offices at ESPN. This was just a different era, right? You didn't have you didn't have iPhones. You didn't have all this information at your fingertips all the time. And I remember just pulling up a, uh, the, the scores page later that day, and I'm like, wait, this has to be set. Because these teams, they were former college players, but the game was still just a man's game. So even though you were playing 27, 28-year-old, you know, fringe NBAers. these really good college teams would win. You know, that same EA Sports team went out to Oklahoma and lost. They went out to SMU and lost. And they beat uh, North Carolina by 31, which is interesting because, uh, you know, that was the Carolina team. The basis of that team was the, some of the guys who would be the the, the you know, backbones of that 2005 championship team. It was Jawad Williams. It was Melvin Scott. You know, it was guys okay, like well, that. Well, well, Here's
0: a little trivia. Do you remember who they played the first game of the 2004-2005 season?
1: Uh, Santa Clara. Yep, yeah, they went down. Yeah, they lost. But Tyler Hemsworth was hurt, was, or Ray Felton was hurt, right? They were don't, going up to Maui. Texas. They
0: just lost. Yeah,
1: they lost the game, but they were going out to Maui. But they started that year. Didn't they start in the ACC? They were 0-2 in the ACC to start that year, too. Um, They lost to Boston College and somebody else, and uh, they didn't win the ACC title there either. Duke won the ACC championship. I believe they lost to Florida State. Um, but, But don't hold me to that, but Team. I was looking up who was on that roster. The only names I recognized were as follows: Kenyon Weeks, who had played at Florida, and he was on the team the year before that had beaten Duke, and uh, Chris Johnson, who was a role player on the uh, UCLA teams. Um, you know, with the O'Bannon brothers and George Zedek and um, you know, Tyus Edney, and and, and those guys. So, um, anyway, so back in my day. Uh, We used to play interesting teams in the preseason that were comprised of, uh, you know, actual former college players. And, uh, you know, you would still go out and you would win, and you'd win by 20, you'd win by 30, whatever it was. But you got to see some interesting players. And then once, for one shining moment, you saw an actual blue blood program get absolutely boat raced by the EA Sports All-Stars and the legend that is Chris Johnson.
0: Good first uh, segment of Back and Raised Down excited for the next. Alright, that concludes part one of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast 2018-19 season preview. Make sure to tune in for part two. You can find the podcast on iTunes at Comoros Corner, subscribe, rate, review, do what you do. You can find me on Twitter at CC underscore Duke Games. Appreciate you listening and I will be talking to you soon.